you know, when I thought about childhood trauma, I thought, okay, well, it's a severe, you know, psychological issue that can probably be, you know, managed or treated with therapy and meds or something. But I had no idea that it actually changes the developing brain of a child. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hi, persisters and brothers. It's Lisbeth, and I am really looking forward to sharing with you Mary Giuliani today, who is an author. One of her her most recent book is, it's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD. It's so interesting to me because, well, for a number of reasons, because frankly, I've struggled a lot with health and weight issues, but also as I'm writing Grounded in Brit and just recorded a whole chapter on this very topic that we need to look deeper than our habits to figure out where they where they came from and looking kind of taking inventory as to what contributes to some of the things that we go through day to day is really really important looking at things like adverse childhood experiences study if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while now and hey you have more than 100 backlist episodes if this is your first time then you know that we talk about healing trauma and a lot of resilience. And so Mary's very timely. There was a study done so long ago, and I would just, without belaboring the point, encourage you to look at it called aces.org, aces.org. And I think that if it's not there, the, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has a copy of the ACEs quiz. It asks about some really toxic traumas that sometimes we go through as young kids and we don't even think about how they may impact us later. So we'll unpack that in this interview. It's a beautiful, sunny day today where I'm at in Tennessee. It's still brisk outside. By the time you listen to this, frankly, it could be deep in summer because we've got a lot of episodes in the queue. But right now we're just into spring. My youngest daughter is having a birthday tomorrow. Um, other updates besides the writing is thank you, Gary, to be my first patron. If any of you are interested in helping support the podcast and or my writing and want to have a little more connection, I have a Patreon page where a person for $2 to $5 a month can support and also get access to some of my reading earlier than other people do, as well as some workshops that may be relevant to you. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. I am guilty of having so many things in the works that I forget to promote them. (laughs) And so to have my first patron was like a huge breakthrough. Appreciate it because again, it's kind of like you listening to the podcast. It shows that you're interested and when you share an episode or review it or support in any way, I am truly, truly grateful. I think it t- costs about at least $200 a month to run a podcast. 
on the software that I'm using and to do the work that I'm doing. And that doesn't account for my unpaid time, which is a lot. So it is great to recompense some of that. And yay, really makes me feel great. So looking forward to having Mary, looking forward to have Grounded and Grit turn your challenges into superpowers published soon. And also just really excited about more sun, more um, light, less struggle with getting myself motivated to get out of bed and all the things. If you're not already, join me at lameredith.com and hop onto my email list where I email a couple of times to four times a month, short emails that are newsy and fun. Thanks always for being here. Appreciate you very, very much. And uh, on we go with Mary. In just a second, I'll bring her to you. Mary, welcome so much to Persistence You. I really appreciate you taking the time today. You are so welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled. And I gave you the introduction about your most recent book, but I didn't talk a lot about how, you know, your story and how it all began to where you wrote this most recent book. So can you tell us a little bit about you? And also, did I say your name? I pronounced it as Giuliani. Correct. Okay. And there's another author with your name. So we need to differentiate you with that person. Mary, uh, or uh, yeah, Yeah. well. Um, well, there's there's a woman that's a caterer in New York that I'll be darned. Yeah. Well, we want yeah. people to enjoy that caterer, but not to yeah. get that get you mixed up. So yes, <laughs> very. So yeah. anyway, thank you for being here. And can you tell us just the backstory about how you learned about complex trauma and began to write the book that you did? Sure. Well, I had been on a 30-year healing and recovery path. Um so I'd gotten sober when I was 27, um, stopped drinking, stopped smoking pot, um, six, stopped smoking cigarettes. And I got into recovery with, I also had a severe obesity problem and food addiction. And so I went to OA and lost a bunch of weight. And so I was really like dedicated to my recovery. And I also had become a life coach in my thirties and, um, and, the background, and I'll go into a little bit deeper further on, but um, is I was raised in a pretty dysfunctional alcoholic home. So anyway, I'd been doing all this healing work on healing the wounds of my past and my family of origin stuff and codependency. And, <clears throat> you know, so I've been like an at, like an avid reader and, you know, really have my nose to the ground on everything related to uh, personal growth, especially when it comes to healing wounds from being raised in dysfunctional families. So when I was 57 years old, five years ago, I came across a book uh, about childhood trauma. And the only reason I bought the book was because I'd seen the topic of uh, trauma coming up in bestselling lists and stuff like that. And since I'm a total psychology geek, I'm like, well, I keep on hearing this thing about trauma, but I've never, you know, I I, I never thought it would apply to me. Right. Um, <clears throat> because I didn't have physical or sexual abuse. And so, you know, being the total psychology geek I am, I'm like, I want to read this book. And it had really good reviews. And it was called, or it is called The Body Keeps the Score, The Brain, Body, and Mind in Healing of Trauma by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. So, I'm, you know, I get it on Audible. I'm listening away. And I mean, within the first, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, and this is like a 16-hour audiobook. 
I'm like, oh my God, this is, he's talking, the symptoms he's talking about are me. Right. And and I'm wow. like, oh my God. So I, you don't have to experience physical or sexual abuse or something really horrible or horrific right. to actually have childhood trauma. And so I'm like having these epiphanies of like, oh my God. So, and not only that, I didn't know about, you know, when I thought about childhood trauma, I thought, okay, well, it's a severe, you know, psychological issue that can probably be, you know, managed or treated with therapy and meds or something. But I had no idea that it actually changes the developing brain of a child and their nervous system and their body and their worldview and their ability to have close relationships because the essence of childhood trauma is it's also known as relational trauma. And so all of a sudden, all of these pieces start falling into place about my life. Like, Oh, well, you know, no wonder I've had difficulty forming or maintaining close relationships. Like, you know, I'd always had friends and stuff like that, but it seemed like over a a course of several years, something would come up and it would bug me, but I didn't have the ability to confront it. And so I would, and the, these slowly kind of pull away from friendships and I'd find myself without any friends. And it would be baffling to me because it was like, I really like friends, but I don't know why, what's going on with me. Well, it I learned that with relational trauma, you actually have a, a trauma response when you're confronted with diff, you know uncomfortable things that remind you of whatever went on with your family dynamics. And it's very, unless you get into a healing, it's going to be very difficult for you to deal with that. And so that's why so many trauma survivors have difficulty either forming or maintaining long-term friendships or healthy romantic relationships. Uh, The other thing that blew my mind is um, I'm reading, you know, listening to this book and I'm like, well, no wonder I had difficulty uh, focusing in school. And because what happens with childhood trauma is the front part of the brain, which is what called the prefrontal cortex, which is in charge of focus and uh, emotional regulation and impulse control, mm-hmm. underdevelops because the fight, flight, freeze, which is the back part survival brain, has to overdevelop to deal with the insanity in your house. And so how that shows up for kids is difficulty focusing, also difficulty with impulse control. And so I started using food when I was five years old because of the tension I felt between my parents. And uh, my dad used food. So, you know, it was modeled and it was the most easy thing available. And it it gave me a sense of soothing and, you know, comfort when I didn't know what to do with my feelings. So I started gaining weight when I was like six, seven and started getting bullied about it at school. And then my mom started drinking alcoholically when I was about eight or nine. And then all of this rage of her screaming at my dad started, and that went on for about 10 years, keeping Mm -hmm. my sister and I up, you know, we couldn't sleep at night. And um, so my weight kept on escalating. And then by the time I was 16, the first time I had a drink, um, you know, and I even knew that I was at risk for alcoholism, but I was at a party and there was beers and stuff. And so I, drank down half of a beer and it was like this ripple of well-being. Uh, oh no. Came over me. Right. Of, oh oh my dear. God, this is really awesome. Right. And so then I had a, another one. And I'm telling you, it was like 
an elixir sent down from the gods. It was that powerful. It was like a peak experience. And there was pot there too. So I tried that. And it was like, you know, given the hell I'd gone through for 10 years at home with my family. And by that time I had lost a bunch of weight with this crazy weight loss thing I did. So I felt good about how I look, but it was still insane at home with my mom's drinking and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like, I'm going to get that feeling back again. I've got to. And so I just figured out a way to find people I could, you know, get pot and alcohol with and off to the races. I was with my own issues with drugs and alcohol and still binge, you know, and then eventually I gained, I lost like 80 pounds over the summer of my freshman year in high school. Wow. That's a lot. But once I, you know, started drinking and, you know, beers, you know, all the beer I did and I was still binge eating. So by the time I was, you know, 26, when I finally got sober, I was like almost 300 pounds. So here I was, you know, in this uh, horribly destructive pattern, but I felt powerless to stop. And I had no idea that my brain and body and mind had been changed because of trauma. And uh, what I learned in this book, Body Keeps the Score, is that by, you know, I didn't ask to be traumatized. And so, Mm -hmm. and not everybody that goes through trauma develops addictions. However, everyone that goes through trauma develops a way to adapt because we have to, we have to, whether it's shutting Mm -hmm. down, dissociating, uh, you know, becoming extremely busy or focused or, or caretaking other people or whatever it is, you know, a child will have to find a way to adapt to the discomfort of a dis what they call dysregulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. Dysregulated means you're either anxious, uh, uncomfortable, fearful, or the opposite lethargic, shut down, just want to stay in bed, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So again, I didn't know that all of these things had impacted me. And also the impulse control deficits are, are, you know, these are proven scientific facts that kids that have experienced um, childhood trauma, that part of your brain does not develop to the level of kids that don't. And so, you know, for me, when I was growing up and dealing with my food stuff, I didn't have that capacity to say no to myself when I wasn't really hungry because I just wanted to soothe the pain of the hell I was going through watching my mom being decimated by alcoholism, my family being crazy, and my own shame for just dealing with being bullied and being fat. And so anyway, I'm reading this book and I'm just having epiphany after epiphany. And um, at first it was like, oh my God. Even and, and by the way, so I was 57 when I found out about this. And so I had been sober for many decades, but I was still struggling. And I actually had been maintaining a healthy weight too. So, but I was still struggling with food to some degree. I was definitely start struggling with caffeine. I was struggling with sleeping without meds um, and with close relationships. And so even though I had curtailed these more overt symptoms, I was still suffering with these other symptoms. Uh, But the one symptom that was left over from the addiction was I still had deep shame about it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want anyone else to know, like, for example, once I lost my weight and felt like I looked normal, uh, I was a life coach. So the last thing, I mean, I felt like I was sick of feeling bad about myself and how I looked and my history of severe addiction and obesity. And so when I started working as a coach, I didn't 
want anyone to know about my history. I didn't want you to know that I used to weigh over 300 pounds. I didn't want you to know I drank over a 12 pack of beer a day and smoked cigarettes and did drugs and, you know, all those things because I was, I still had so much shame because on, on a deep level, I felt like it meant I was weak. I was a failure and I was Mm -hmm. broken, you know, and that they just wouldn't have respect for me. So I had kept it hidden. But once I learned that these uh, alcohol, drug problems, obesity, uh, you know, severe obesity, these are these are like the smoke. These are symptoms. The fire is what drives them, which is, um, you know, the pain, the emotional pain and the discomfort and the anxiety of unresolved trauma. So once I learned it wasn't my fault, it was like this huge relief of uh, like, Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not bad. I'm not broken. I'm not weak. I'm not a bad person or undesirable because of this. I'm I'm simply, I was simply traumatized. Right. And, and that there are trauma-based solutions that I can access to heal. And that was the other key piece is I got to the point in the book where Bessel van der Kolk says, no amount of talk therapy can completely heal trauma. And I'm like, because the only thing I'd done was talk therapy over the past 30 years and make 12 step and just other personal growth groups sure. and self-help books. So I'm like, so you're telling me for the past 30 years, I could have been accessing the specific types of body brain trauma-based therapies to help me heal, but I didn't know about them because none of the dozens of therapists I'd gone to ever even thought to think that I could be suffering from trauma. And so right. that was a whole other layer of anger. And, you know, like if I would have known like 10, even 10 years ago, I could have let go of a lot of shame. I could have gotten into more uh, trauma-based therapies that help heal the body, brain, nervous system, as well as the mind. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it was a mixed bag, but it was huge. And, it, and that's what made me want to write the book. It was like, there's got to be millions, if not billions of people out there that are suffering from these symptoms that have no idea that it's not their fault, they're not bad or broken, and that with the right types of support, they can heal. And so that's what drove me to write the book. Well, that's excellent. It sounds like you were you treating each thing like an individual problem that you were just writing down with a mallet and, uh, you know, kind of like a whack-a-mole, you know, each yep. little addiction would come up and you're hitting exactly. it. But then you got, you realized that underneath it all was one similar Uh, a similar theme. The adverse childhood experiences study that you're talking about, we talk about the fact that, you know, a lot of kids will go through a trauma and they respond differently. But if there are too many toxic traumas that kind of double up on children, if it's too much, too long, uh, yeah, yeah, with in the right circumstances, it is life altering and it isn't fixable, quote unquote. It's you know, you can do healing work and all of that, but we're not going to make a complete, it's not going to be erased necessarily. But some of those toxic traumas, as you learned about them, what are some of the things on the ACEs study that you wouldn't sure. have thought? Right. So I, um, so just for people that might not know, the ACE study asks 10 questions of whether you uh, experience these certain things before you were 18 growing up. And right. I have six of the 10. And anyway, so the first one is, being raised in an alcoholic or a drug addicted home, uh, being raised by a parent that has mental health issues, including anxiety and depression. 
being raised uh, where you witness domestic violence, um, also uh, where a parent is incarcerated, uh, where there's emotional abuse or emotional neglect, which means that your feelings are not validated or considered, you know, even like valuable, um, where you experience sexual abuse or physical abuse. Um, I don't know if I covered You've got the majority of it. And I know yeah. that some has been added on to a newer because there are issues of racism that we're now yes, we're factoring yes. in and things that weren't initially brought to right. the forefront, but for the first 10 questions, I mean, it, there are things, you know, even divorce can be traumatic. Oh, right. One divorce. parent is absent right. yeah. by death or divorce. Uh, divorce isn't always though, you know, some people manage a divorce and do it in such a way that the kids right. do wonderfully, but it depends on how that was leveraged or managed. Do right. the kids have access to both parents? So those are really interesting things that I think it's worth all of us looking at you know, it's not like we're going to get stuck in it if we acknowledge that some things happened when we were young that right. uh, changed our life. But it may it may help us understand ourselves better. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, if we are looking at life, at friendships, if we're looking at things in a lens that we didn't even know how it was created. Exactly. And I well, think for and that reason. I mean, the ACE study was mind blowing for me because it was a, done through Kaiser Permanente and CDC. So it was a totally credible study. And, um, and what blew my mind was seeing that if you have four or more ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, the chances of you becoming alcoholic go up 700%, like seven times. And uh, the chances of you suffering with severe obesity go up almost three times. The chances of you becoming a smoker go up significantly. And all of these things happened to me. They all came to pass for me. Uh, the chances of you doing uh, illicit drugs go up, you know, three, four hundred percent. It was just like looking at and in my book. I have all of the graphs that show like mm-hmm. zero ace, one ace, two ace, three ace, four aces and, and the increased percentage. And it's so obvious that trauma, the, the toxic stress of all these things combined cause trauma. And what was interesting too about the ACE study was it didn't matter which ACEs you had. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like in other words, sexual abuse and going through uh, being emotionally abused were equal and not to, not to minimize either, either one, but were equal as, because as far as the brain is concerned, toxic stress is toxic stress. So, so if you had the experience of sexual abuse and uh, a parent divorce, parents divorcing and emotional and physical neglect versus you had, you know, emotional neglect, uh, parents divorcing, emotional abuse, and a parent having mental illness, you had the same chance of all of these negative health or behavioral outcomes after you become an adult. And so that's, that sort of blows the whole concept of you have to have physical or sexual abuse to experience uh, severe uh, consequences in terms of mental health, physical health, behavioral health as you grow up. And so the first time I saw all all of this data, at at first it was like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. It's like, again, it was confirming that it wasn't my fault. Anybody that had these amount of ACEs had the chance of, you know, much higher chance of this happening to them too. But then I, then after I kind of took that in, I was like, 
why couldn't I have been born to more healthy parents? I Chances are I would have never struggled with alcohol, food, weight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it, it's proven. I mean, so it, it's sort of like I had to feel the anger and feel the grief of the loss of what could have been, you know? And um, so I, the thing about my work now is I feel like by sharing my story, not only can I help people that are struggling with food, drugs, alcohol, or relationships. But once people get into recovery, you can stop the chain from, you know, because if you don't, if you don't get into recovery, you can't help but traumatize your own children, because you're going to be parenting from the lens that you were parented by. And so uh, that's the power of, you know, they say hurt people hurt people, well, healed people heal people, you know, and so um, that's why I feel like um, it's so important for people to understand about trauma. And uh, an- another section in the book that I feel like is super important is like, so once I started learning about this, I was talking to a lot of my friends and colleagues about it. And I'm, I was noticing like, okay, so according to the CDC, like 25% of people grew up with alcoholic parents and 20% of girls were molested before they were 18. And you know, these really large numbers. And yet, and so I'm talking about this revelation of, oh my God, I realized I have trauma to my friends and hardly any of them are saying, oh yeah, well that happened to me too. Or like it was, I was, it was conspicuous in its absence, how infrequently people would like acknowledge their trauma. And so I started doing a lot of digging as to what's going on with this. Why aren't, you know, I mean, a study happened over 20 years ago and it's still barely getting to be more mainstream today. And I realized that there's a lot of shame and stigma about acknowledging you have trauma because people will, a lot of men, especially associate it with being weak. Or um, if you say you experience trauma, you're inadvertently blaming your parents, which is like a huge taboo in our culture. Or, you know, you're saying that um that that you should have been able to get it on get get over it on your own. And you know, it would be like to me, it, it would be like getting over trauma if it truly is trauma, which means that your nervous system has been altered in a way that will stay that way for life unless you get proper treatment. Um it would be like expecting somebody with a brain injury to just get over it on their own, because it really is like a form of a, of a brain injury in a sense. The good news too, is that depending on how many positive, because we're doing more, uh, you know, talking more also about what positive yes. uh, effects are during childhood. So if you had one or two adults in your life, that like a coach, a teacher, an aunt, whatever, uh, who appreciated you, who mm-hmm. validated you, who believed you, absolutely, or a parent in the home who was not keeping secrets and who right. tried to be supportive, all of that. That so there's so many things that help us at times be resilient that we can also talk about, and it's wonderful. But it's really it is important. I think it's important for people to have, you know, as we were doing the introduction, I talked about looking at the ACEs study, everyone take a look at it. And there are people who absolutely have a very low or no ACE score. And that's beautiful. There are people who have a high ACE score who don't exhibit some of the same things, Mm -hmm. but then you can stop and say, 
what were the positive right the positive things in my life yeah what happened that made this great outcome and it's right. it's wonderful that the information itself isn't damaging it's the not knowing i think right and and i think that's another thing that is so important is you know before we had the research on the positive childhood experiences and resilience mm-hmm. stuff it you, you the the a study could freak a lot of people out you know because it's like oh my god you know i'm screwed <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but um, I include a lot in my uh, a lot of information in my book. In fact, I have the ACE study in it as well as the Positive Childhood Experiences questionnaire and the Resilience Survey, so that that you can take a look not only at your ACE score but also the factors that can offset the negative outcomes of it mm-hmm. through the positive things. And the other cool thing about that is um, for existing parents they can get more proactive if they are dealing with a really difficult marriage or whatever. If they're aware that positive childhood experiences are going to help their kids, mm-hmm. they can, you know, look at implementing that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I think just the shame and the stigma about, especially about addiction and obesity. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but according to a Pew research study, 50% of people in our country believe addiction and obesity are a choice. So like we choose to like, you know, like just basically eat or drink ourselves or get, you know, use drugs to the point of almost maybe even dying and not realizing that the, the brains of children that are, that are traumatized are very sensitized and susceptible to addiction, especially if there's a family history. So it's a combination of genetics like mm-hmm. if, if both your parents or a parent and a grandparent have uh, alcohol or drug issues and you were raised, it's 50% right there, even if you were adopted and grew up in a normal family. Uh, but if you have that kind of genetic history and then you add ACEs on top of it, um, it's a lot higher. And then if a kid starts drinking or using before their brain is fully developed, about not actually 90% of people with substance use disorders develop them before uh, in their adolescence. Like I started drinking when I was 15, 16. So I was, I mean, I, I almost had the perfect storm. You know, I had the genetics, I had the environment, I had the mm-hmm. ACEs. Um, and so I, the thing I want my book to, or just my message to really convey is that for those that are struggling or have struggled, it's not your fault. You're not alone. You're not bad or broken you were traumatized and, you know, and that you can heal. And I have a whole section where I talk about the various healing modalities that address the nervous system and the uh, brain and the body, as well as the beliefs, because shame and guilt are such a, you know, pervasive issue for those of us with trauma, because it's hard not to believe you're not broken when you continually struggle. And most of the treatments, most therapists don't even recognize that trauma is driving it. And so then you wonder why you can't heal. And um, so anyway, um, it's, uh, I'm so glad that this topic is getting more coverage. And um, I'm hoping my story will help with that. Love it. And where can people connect with you and learn more about your book? Yes. And figure out how to work with you. Yeah. So my book is, it's not about food drugs or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD. It's hard to get this without Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. For those on YouTube, you're, she's showing you the uh, cover, but for those of you who aren't, you can look at it on YouTube. Yeah. 
It's not, yeah, it's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD. Great. Because again, the alcohol, drugs, and food are just the symptom and the complex PTSD is what is the fire and driving it. It's on Amazon and it's in Kindle and it's in paperback. And I'm just getting ready to get the audible version out there. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And so is there a website people can connect with you at? Wonderful. Where is it? It's Mary Giuliani. That's G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I.net. And I have a free complex PTS quiz on it. So if you want to see if you might have hidden symptoms of complex PTSD, you can check it out. Or um, I have tons of resources. I'm also a coach if you need help with uh, one-on-one coaching. And uh, I'm also a speaker. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mary, for being here today. This has been amazing. I so appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.